Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. And, you know, one of the things that we learned coming out of 2020 is that anything is possible. If we have the right catalyst, if we have the right impetus, that these previously immovable objects are very much movable. So part of what I see for 2021 is resetting the foundation of what we want to be as an organization, what we want to be as a function, what it means to engage meaningfully at a human level. And, um, you know, right now we're working with a lot of organizations to set those priorities, to set that agenda. There's some foundational things that HR will always have to do. So we think about compliance, we think about, um, you know, meeting the regulatory needs of whatever geography or population that they're supporting. So that's sort of foundational, that's table stakes. What I'm really excited about is many of the organizations that we're working with are talking about a new dynamic HR operating model. Mark is the founder of IA, applying over 25 years of HR transformation experience to public and private sector clients worldwide. Over his career, Mark has brought over $3.5 billion worth of value to his clients and employers. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. And I am, you know, I, I get so excited when I meet my my good old friends in the in the podcast, people that I have not seen in person in such a long time. And Mark is one of them. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Enrique. It's good to see you, my friend. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. Well, thank you so much for joining. It's uh, such a privilege to have you with me and, and for our audience to get to hear some of your insights and the work you've done, which is amazing. So I'm, I'm so happy to have you. Um. Let me start by asking you, what do you think the agenda for HR will be in 2021? What do you think will be the main areas where HR will should be, not necessarily where it will be, but where it should be spending most of its time? Yeah, it's, it, I love this question. You know, one of the things that we learned coming out of 2020 is that anything is possible. If we have the <laughs> right catalyst, if we have the right impetus, that these previously immovable objects are very much movable. So part of what I see for 2021 is resetting the foundation of what we wanna be as an organization, what we wanna be as a function, what it means to engage meaningfully at a human level. And um, you know, right now we're working with a lot of organizations to set those priorities, to set that agenda. There's some foundational things that HR will always have to do. So we think about compliance, we think about um, you know, meeting the regulatory needs of whatever geography or population that they're supporting. So that's sort of foundational, that's table stakes. What I'm really excited about is many of the organizations that we're working with are talking about a new dynamic HR operating model. Yeah. And, and as we look forward to 2021, I think, I think the first instantiation of that is the fact that again, out of necessity, organizations have had to become so much more fluid. 
have had to recognize by geography or by population type that the rules are constantly changing. Their market dynamics are changing. Their customer is changing. What it means to be a worker, not even an employee, but just to be a worker that's effectuating outcomes for their organization is changing every single day. So the question for us as a function who tends to be much more planful, some say more mindful, some say too process oriented, right? Some say way too policy oriented is how do we become as dynamic as the organizations that we support? So in terms of priorities for for 2021, I think it starts with what does the organization stand for? And, you know, we hear a lot, Enrique, we read all this about the employee value proposition, but this is no longer sort of a notional or aspirational statement of mission and vision. I think those things are helpful as sort of grounding. I think for the individual, right, when you choose that organization and when that organization chooses, chooses you, when you sort of implicitly get into that employee and employer contract, what does that really mean, right? In today's world, a lot of people are out of work. Um, you know, when this goes live, a lot of people will still be out of work. We have a global employment crisis. We have financial crises. We have a global pandemic that's still raging. So at the end of the day, how we spend our time with whom we associate mm-hmm. matters, right? We think about that in our friends. We think about that in our family. And we've been isolated, right? We've been isolated from, from so many people as a result of the, the world that we're in. But one thing we can try to choose when things start to improve is who do we work for? Yeah. What do they stand for? And I think one of the things that I'm seeing without question right now is full and explicit transparency. And one of the strongest leaders that I follow is um, Chuck Robbins. He's the CEO of Cisco. And one of the things I love about, about Chuck is he's one of a, a small number of CEOs who are very comfortable saying, I don't know. Yeah. And not only do I don't know, but I'm going to go find out, right, to the best of my ability, and I'm going to come back. So we have to change the notion of what it means to connect, and HR has got to figure out what role they really want to intentionally play in this new world order. Absolutely. That, that is quite, quite, quite the agenda, quite the agenda for, for 2021. Let me ask you this, Mark. I, I, I think we've all seen the resilience and under extreme circumstances, the capacity for of HR to, to scramble resources, to do what's needed, to keep their people safe, sane, and their organizations operating. And that's a testament of, of what you said before. We can change and we can do better uh, compared to what we have done in the past. But there are fo- there's a force still trying to bring organizations back to the way things were before, and you hear this from, you know, from economy leaders, from our political leaders, you know, quote unquote, talking about going back to work. Like if we have not been work, if we have not been working over the past few months, mm-hmm. right? It's just that it's a new format. So, so let me ask you this: How can HR create the case and become? a champion for not going back to the way things were before? How can HR tell their business leaders, their people, look what we've done with in, in emergency. Imagine what we could do if we continue to do this in a more uh, stable uh, environment. Yeah, I mean, I'd say there's, there's good and bad to what we've been able to achieve. So, uh, you know, at the highest level, 
for those that advocate that HR has never had a voice or a vision or God forbid a seat at the table. I hate that phrase, but it's used everywhere, right? Don't use it. Don't use it. <laughs> Don't use it. Sorry. Scrape, scrape that from what we're talking about. HR proved its value, you know, times a thousand in this crisis, right? Tirelessly worked to advocate for the best outcome that they could possibly achieve tirelessly tried to ensure that the mental, physical, and emotional well-being of their employees was sacrosanct. And I talked to many more CHROs than I would care to admit this year that just needed a safe space to cry because the weight of this, right, what they've carried as individuals, as professionals, has, has really crushed them um, in so many ways. The good part about it, though, is the data would suggest that workers have adjusted and are much more... <laughs> Are, are much more fluid than maybe we would have thought, that workers don't necessarily need draconian um, oversight, that workers don't need presenteeism to be productive. But, but the flip side of the productivity data is that we're working longer hours, Yeah, right? We're not drawing a dividing line between home and work. We are constantly in demand. We are, we are seeing ourselves in this kind of format, right? Like last, uh, you know, one of the a couple of times I saw you go, we hugged, we said, hello, we had yeah. a great conversation. I don't know when the next time is that I'll be able to see you. So every day we turn on video conferences and we're reminded of the fact that we are physically distant, yeah. right? From those who we adore and we care about. And all of that is taking a yet to be measured toll and are we gonna get crushed under that weight? So as much as we're seeing productivity increases, I think the decline is about to come. I think the emotional burden that we've all carried is about to knock us down. And you yeah. know, John Sumser, who you know well, you know, John did a great keynote at the HR Technology Conference, just bringing all this home that we have yet to see sort of the long-term impacts of everything that yeah. we're dealing with. But, but at the same side, you know, we have organizations that are coldly practical. So one of our clients is a large financial services organization. They have a, a 14 building campus and they literally had people go to the campus and say, okay, as long as socially distance or social distancing is required, how long would it take to literally get all of our employees up to their offices? And their CEO is quite old school, right? Can't believe that the 14,000 people can't just come back to work. But what they measured is if they started at 7.30 in the morning, it would take them until 3.30 in the evening just to get everybody to their office. Wow. When you think about that, right? Is there really a benefit in us coming together or can we purposefully try to assemble in small socially distant groups, right? To achieve a specific outcome for a critical moment. And can that be done in a safe way? And if we think about it purely from a cost and return perspective, it is much more cost effective for the employer and for the employee for this remote structure to persist. Yeah. At the same time, we're talking largely here about knowledge workers because guess what? Manufacturers have to go manufacture, yeah. right? Retailers have to do their frontline work. Um, the same is for healthcare professionals. So there are literally hundreds of millions of people that have no choice but to physically show up every single day. What we have to do though, is recognize that in the new world order, people need to work, but they also need to rest. And what yeah. HR can advocate and be the voice for is even for those that are required to come in, how do we think for more mindfully about the fact that we need to deploy our skills, we need to rest, we need to reskill, yeah. we need to deploy our skills, we need to rest, we need to reskill, we need to deploy our skills. And that the physicality of that is not a codependency to achieving those outcomes. That's what I'd like to see us advocate for moving forward. Absolutely. And, and you know, one thing 
that it's um, it's uh, it's an underlying principle of all that you are uh, talking about is this idea of flexibility and uh, you know more the, the possibility of not necessarily having something that applies to everybody equally, right? And what I mean by that is through this pandemic, I have gotten to know people who are thriving while working from home mm -hmm. because they had three hour commute before and, you know, kids were crying all the time because mom or dad were going to the office and whatnot. And now they can combine life in a way that makes sense for them. But at the same time, I have found people who are telling me I am sick of working from home. I need to see my people. I need to go to the office and they don't let me go to the office. Mm -hmm. So I think one fantastic pr uh, principle that we knew before, but has emerged with you know more power during the pandemic is the idea that one size does not fit all. And if we're able to better cater to what our people need while, uh, or because we know that they will operate and they will deliver their, their, their work, I think, you know, that's, that's probably going to put us in a better place than we were, we were before. Yeah, I would, I would vehemently agree. And, you know, we've, we've bandied about in the market, this notion of employees owning their career. Yeah. But by and large, we have never activated that idea. <laughs> we, have, we have perpetuated a codependency. Yeah. And it's the codependency that we claim to hate. It's the codependency that creates this transactional burden. So if we really want to be free and we really want to set the capabilities and the outcomes of our employees free, and we really want to manifest the idea that each individual is a snowflake, right? And we want to foster and grow. And our job as organizations is to create the tools and the space for everyone to choose their own adventure and choose their path. Then this is where that starts. Exactly what you're ascribing is where that starts. So if we want managers to own their teams and we want individuals to own their career, then why do we need to get in the way? Right? <laughs> yeah. Why do we need to get in the way? And so everything that we should do should be grounded to those core principles of, did we advance the employee, yeah. right? Did we advance the employee and did we advance the team and the objectives? Those are not competing concepts, yeah. right? We don't have to advance the organization or the team or the outcome to the detriment of the employee. There are enough employees. There are enough unique individuals. People are bringing positive intent and goodwill but they will only bring positive intent and goodwill if it's reciprocated. Correct. And so that's, that's what we have to prove yeah. that we as organizations implicitly and explicitly trust that people are going to be, bring grace and their best intent. And if we just let them run, they're going to run. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and when they, and when they fall because they will, and when they fail to maybe meet those grounding principles, then our job is to pick them up and set them back on the right course. I, I love that. That's it. That's yeah, it. And I, and I know it sounds easy, but to do that requires us letting go of so many things mm -hmm. that we, this house that we have built around the employee and that HR often holds the key to. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we've locked them in. Yeah. And so let's just set this whole thing free. And what's, and honestly, I, I, I really think about this and I mean this intentionally, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. Because people are self-aware enough largely and they will self-select out of environments where they can't thrive. Yeah. And so if we let, if, if you said, listen, here are the objectives that I have and there's no place for you to go, we should let that person graduate to another organization. Yeah. Go thrive there. And when we have other opportunities for them to come back, 
come back even stronger. We don't, you know, retaining our talent when we're trapping our talent, that should not be a metric that we're holding on to by any stretch. Absolutely. And I, I, I love that you, you're using the word thrive because to me, the, the, the main role of a leader, of course, beyond the operational work that they may have to do is to help their people thrive and succeed at work. And it sounds intuitive. You know, you said before, it's, you know, it doesn't sound easy, but it sounds intuitive, right? If, if our people are thriving, if they are succeeding, if they are finding meaning, growing, if they are enjoying and getting better at their craft in our job, in our work, in our company, then by default, the company should be getting better too. But somehow we put a lot of crap on the way to prevent that from happening. And people ended up having to deal with more bureaucracy and more processes that at the end of the, the day, chip away a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more of their energy that should be consumed in thriving and helping the organization thrive as well. And that's part of, I know you've done a lot of work, mm-hmm. um, you know, the last few years about uh, helping HR evolve, graduate, like you said before, from, from being a transactional function to a transformational function. And let me ask you this, what do you think a an HR that is focused on the transformation, that is focused on the success of the business, that is focused on the success of the people, what does it look like? What does it have that make it stand out versus the transactional HR? Well, part of, part of it, it starts with, you know, finding a home for the transactional needs. Mm-hmm. So some of those transactions won't go away, but let's clearly align those functions with the organizational elements that should own it. So we need to be compliant, right? We need to follow the regulatory controls and the legislative controls and in, in the geographies in which we operate. We'll put that under legal, right? We have a wallet. We have a wallet that the employee owns. That wallet consists of pay, that consists of time off, that consists of benefits. Why not put that under finance, yeah. right? So let's, let's tie some of these functions to the organization that is best aligned to the outcome that we're trying to achieve. And when we get ourselves out of that whack-a-mole hole of transaction, 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 and when we free ourselves, what's left is a truly talent-centric, almost internal consulting function that we're referring to as a dynamic HR organization. And if we think about this notion of dynamic skills, which we spent a lot of time over the course of 2020 thinking about the war for skills, not the war for talent. And you're now hearing this, I think, by and large throughout the industry around the world. If we recognize that HR is no different than any other individual where we have skilled resources that have a variety of attained, attested and verified skills that are dynamically assembled in this function called HR. In the future state, we should have a pool of these resources. And that pool of resources, their main job is listening. And in listening to the needs of the business, which we've already ascribed are ever-changing, and in freeing the employee to own their career, and freeing teams to own their workers, our job is to listen to the best place in which we can assemble dynamically these skilled talent professionals and provision them to solve and substantiate problems throughout the enterprise instead of being locked into the center of excellence and center of expertise model. So we have evolved, right? So I'll give yeah. Ulrich and you know, his peers a lot of credit. We did evolve. But what we've done by virtue of ascribing our functional organizational structure to HR 
is we have talent management and we have a comp function and we have a performance function and we have a payroll function and we have a benefits function, right? And a recruiting function and an onboarding function and the list goes on and on. And we have ER and we have investigations, et cetera. So we have organized ourselves around the way HR works. That's not in the flow of work. That's yeah. not how work works, <laughs> right? I, dare I say how work works. So, so at the end of the day, what I want to see is I want to see HR free itself through assigning the rest of those critical but largely transactional functions to other homes throughout the organization. And what emerges is a true internal consultative organization, which is purely focused on helping talent thrive. Yeah. That's it. You pursue an acquisition, you provision a team to look at the talent you're about to bring in. You're going to divest an entity, you do the same thing. What talent is exiting? And how do we assemble the remaining talent to plug those holes in our operating model in our organization? We have people that want to raise their hand to ascribe to the next level. Great. What do we do to develop and promote the skills attainment? How are we promoting learning interventions to give them the opportunity to, to promote into that? But we also have to recognize that job descriptions no longer apply. Yeah. Right? that there are very few roles. I was even talking to the head of one of the largest manufacturers in the world, the head of HR. And he said, will dynamic teams, will dynamic roles work in manufacturing? I said, well, that's the premise of manufacturing. Yeah. You create a line, you look at what skilled workers can fulfill that line. You produce a product, you disassemble, right? You reproduce a line, you bring the right skilled resources in, you produce, you disassemble. It's no different in this notion of dynamic teams. That's how all work I think will work in the future. Yeah. But it requires us to get out of our own way as a people function and to lead with a premise of trust and ownership, yeah. right? Trust and ownership. If we can, and, and of course, bad actors will emerge, we'll have a home for those bad actors. Yeah. Let's not build the entire function with the premise of bad actors, right? Uh, uh, let's, yeah. let's flip the script a little bit. So uh, Absolutely. Let me ask you one question, Mark, and as, as we are wrapping up our, our conversation, the, the traditional HR, which is focused on transaction, the administration of processes, you know, compliance, compensation, legal stuff, is still pretty much alive in, 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 the, in the business and the HR space. And you see it in the kind of, content that HR people get certified in and you see it in job descriptions where they still require some level of competences that you know they they are not what those organizations truly mean, uh, truly want or need. So let me ask you this, uh, what skills or competences do you think we need to develop if we don't have them yet in HR once we shed out all that and transactional work, what is the, the, the core set of competences that will help us thrive? No, I love this question. So um, data centricity, right? The ability to elicit insight. We have more, we have more data than we know how to act on. <laughs> and so how do we look at, at, at both intrinsic data of what we've actually learned, what's happened retrospectively, and how do we prospectively model using data models, complex data models, where we think the organization, and therefore workers, the workers necessary to support this will go. How do we think about um, technical augmentation? In some cases, full replacement, but how, do, how are we proficient in understanding the skills that technology will bring? 
to complement the necessary skills of the roles that humans will continue to occupy. So we have to think about a skill-centric point of view, which requires a global skills taxonomy. We need a common language in order to educate our future talent professionals to understand what attainment of a certain skill means and how skills taxonomies, job families are grown and how we work in a complex organizational structure. We also need to clearly understand the businesses that we're supporting. Mm -hmm. You know, we've always talked about, and we've seen great successes here. So I, I'm not sitting here browbeating HR, that HR needs to become more strategic. I think there's great examples of this. I think we can double down on that yeah. by infusing a deeper and more meaningful relationship with the business organizations and the leaders that we're supporting in the field, right? Know your domain, study your domain, be rewarded for being an expert, not in comp, but being an expert in healthcare, yeah. being an expert, not in performance management, but being an expert in retail, right? That's what HR needs for the future. And that's where a transfer of skills and knowledge, I think will cause our organization and our, our function to thrive in ways, I will say this, in ways we can't even predict at this moment. If yeah. we're capable of achieving even a small fraction of what we've been discussing today, I have no doubt that the HR function of the future will look back on this moment, much like we have in any evolution, and we'll say, wow, why did we wait so long? Why did we wait so long? So. Absolutely. I love that. And actually, one thing that I do say a lot of times is that for HR to remain relevant, uh, instead of going obsolete, we need to learn and operate outside of the traditional HR bubble. And you mentioned a, a couple of great examples. And I, I tell people in HR, you have to understand, for example, the, the circumstances and the industry and the marketing which your company is operating. It's not enough anymore to even, even if you know a lot about your own mm -hmm. company, that's not enough anymore. You got to understand what your entire industry is moving to, because that's going to help you uh, perhaps forecast some of the skills that you will need down the road, where are you going to be getting people, where your people may be going to if they decide to leave the company. So yeah. lots of great, um, lots of great, great work for HR going forward. Yeah. And I will tell you, like, I, I think there's a tremendous appetite. You know, I spend, I yeah. spend every, every day of my working life with HR leaders. They want the capacity to pursue these outcomes we're describing, yeah. but there is an infinite amount of capacity within any individual human. So again, this is why we have to eradicate the burdens. We have to, to cut the shackles that are holding the function back. Yeah. And, with, and with that space and with capacity, I know that that freedom will bring a tremendous amount of interest by existing HR professionals, not to yeah. mention the HR professionals we're going to grow in the future to pursue exactly the kind of outcomes that we're describing. I'm Absolutely. Very, I'm very I, bullish on it and very excited for the future. I am. I'm very excited as well. So Mark, thank you so much for sharing your insights and this amazing and very hopeful view of the future of HR. So thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.